Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Today, we're going to meet a scientist who works with baby sharks. And in our shark bite, we'll learn how the ocean is changing literally before our very eyes. Listening to the Shark Week podcast. Well, after a week off, we're back with another couple of episodes of this season, and we've saved some of the best for last. G'day, everyone. Welcome to Shark Week, the podcast. I'm your host, Luke Tipple. Now, the world around us is changing faster than ever. That's true of technology, it's true of politics, it's true of culture, but it's also true with the ocean. And our ability to gather data on it is always struggling to keep up. Now, if you've listened to this show before, you might have heard me mention this problem in passing. Things like NOAA's estimates for sustainable fishing being up to a decade old, or that our best info is just frankly lagging behind. And with massive catalysts for change hitting the ocean daily, from commercial overfishing to water temperature changes, it's becoming increasingly difficult to get an accurate snapshot of what's going on in the ocean right now. My guest today is working to fix that. He's Dr. Riley Elliott, really good bloke and a friend of the show. He's also a member of the Sustainable Ocean Society and a founder of the Great White app. His biggest goal is to change people's fear of sharks into fascination. And he's here to talk today about something he's recently accomplished, the first baby Great White Sharks ever tagged. G'day, Riley. Thanks for joining us again. It's really good to see you, mate. I heard that you tagged some baby great white sharks. I honestly still can't believe it, to be frank. Um, the, the problem is, okay, is when a shark turns up and you tag it, it, it generally leaves because, you know, it's like someone piercing your ear when you didn't volunteer for it. Um, you know, it's not invasive as such. Uh, they forget about it and come back. But uh, yeah, long story short, look, New Zealand is kind of seemingly five years behind Southern California, it seems, where we've got an emerging population of young great white sharks in a place where they really weren't before. Um, and to figure that out, you know, what they're doing, where they're moving and why, uh, tagging is involved. And, and in New Zealand, uh, I went to this, this one spot. It's a tiny harbour um, where there's been a proliferation of young great whites over the last three summers. And uh, when a baby one turns up, you just don't really expect it. I mean, I don't know if you've seen one. I know that there's probably like 
a handful seen in science and let alone tagged. Um, so yeah, I was, I was, I was pretty nervous to tag it. And it's also, it's also hard to tag a baby, like tagging a, a five meter, you know, 18 foot great wide is easy. You hit it as hard as you can kind of, they're pretty robust, but something that's three and a half feet long. Um, yeah, it was, it was difficult because you still, they got thick skin. They're still a shark. Yeah. Um, but the placement of the tag is, 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 was so key because, um, it's a smaller dorsal fin to give protection for the tag. It's, it's a, it's a smaller animal. So you have to use a, a shorter dart tip. And, um, ultimately it's, it's a very important life stage to understand. So, um, yeah, luckily everything came together. We got the tag on and, uh, ironically it just came off yesterday. Okay. Right. Well, we'll get to that, but, um, what sort of put it on your radar? Obviously you're out there tagging great whites anyway, as part of your job and you're collecting data for your app. Is that right? Yeah. I mean. There's, there's different ways to look at OSearch. Uh, it was the pioneer, you know, of tagging sharks and putting out this public app. But I think what it really showed was um, the power of engaging the public and uh, the funding platform that that provides. But you've got to give the entertainment back to the people who fund the tags, you know, the, the return on investment for them. But yeah, we tagged four great whites over the summer. We had, you know, one in a hundred year floods like everyone is seemingly experiencing around the world uh, that sent the great whites kind of packing um but we had these four sharks tagged and we saw some incredible migrations and most importantly movements to certain areas and coming back and showing residency in areas which ticks boxes for nursery grounds and pupping grounds um so you know when you get short life out of shark tags which is just the nature of the beast um in four to six months we ticked all the boxes to prove that this area was not only a nursery ground but also a pupping ground now why would the sharks be you know, as you say, get sent packing by a bunch of floods. Well, you think, um, you know, if all of a sudden, well, we have forest fires, you know, BC's dealing with it right now. It gets all smoky. You can't see anything. You kind of want to get out of that. You know, we're visual. Um, sharks are a visual predator largely. Um, and, and so when the water got that, that dirty, it's also a lot of fresh water. Um, I think most importantly, that probably pushes their prey out into the open water. And what was amazing was, um, one of the sharks we tagged directly after the flood, it did this beeline outside almost the continental shelf up north into a bay. And, it, and, and I was like, that's so, it looked like it was on a fishing boat, which scares the shark scientists always when you see these linear kind of movements. And then the following week after another flood and we tagged the baby great white, it did exactly, exactly the same line, but slightly further out. And I was like, you know, trying to figure it out with my, with my, with my sides fat grounded when I overlaid chlorophyll charts from the satellite you could see the flood water and the sharks have gone outside of that swum parallel to it until they found that their prey source i think yeah so quite cool so they're, they're literally just if you imagine a plume of you know water and silt and you know colder water presumably and, and all types of nastiness coming off the land they're just sort of hugging that until they find themselves back into good hunting waters yeah it's amazing i mean so like this is this guess it makes sense yeah yeah and it does but like it, it's 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 powerful. You know, anytime you put a tag on these animals, we learn more. And I think this, you know, association of climate change creating greater extreme weather events and whatnot. Um, also, the influence of sedimentation and, and, and deforestation on land and urbanization. These are anthropogenic factors which affect these animals' behavior. And it's important to understand that because seemingly we're, we're creating more chaos every day. Well, we're certainly experiencing more chaos, so yeah. Whether we're creating it or not is probably another conversation. <laughs> another conversation. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I'm sure we're creating some of it. Uh, walk me through actually tagging uh, the baby great white. Did you have it on a hook and line or was it free swimming? 
Yeah, there's there's definitely been a big movement away from uh, certain methodologies of tagging. The conventional, uh, like I said, O-Surge one perhaps is back in the day, catch the shark on a hook, bring it out of the water, bolt some stuff to it. Um, we've kind of uh, moved this on is, then. Just, just to clarify, this is where you're talking about, you know, there was a whole bunch of media where they're literally pulling great whites out of the water on, you know, these lifting platforms and they're just there with their flat guts just all out. I mean, it's pretty traumatic <laughs> yeah i mean we've we learn from science i guess is yeah. a good thing and and so now a lot of methodology and this is the exciting part of science and 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 grateful for shark week to help fund this kind of, of stuff uh to improve the way we monitor these animals is a lot of the scientists around the world are like all oh, right i saw you use those tags how have they worked for you because we're trying to move away from catch and bolt on tags because we've seen it can affect their dorsal fins um catching always brings risk um and in new zealand to be short like uh the permit i got to do this because they are an endangered protected animal the permit said uh why i had to propose methodologies and they chose the one that was least invasive which i agreed with um so basically we just chum the water like you normally do to bring sharks in um and then i had a bait rope you know with a with a fish carcass on it and i would just lure it like a kitten with wool um, along the side of the boat, and when it got into a good position, I could then tag it with a dart and tether tag, which is the least invasive way to track these animals. Um, I got to say though, it's not always glamorous and set up like on Shark Week where you've got assistance and your your pregnant wife, in my case, to help me do this. <laughs> um, I had to do it myself a lot of the time because it's time in the field is how you access these animals. And and when I had to like orchestrate a pulley system with one arm and a, a tag pole in the other, and then there's a baby shark, it's just it's exciting it's cool and it, and it builds on the foundations of experience you've learned through time um so i think it was, it's been a really cool experience challenging definitely but um uh you know successful and growing so if everybody who's you know picking up an app or looking at your website and seeing these dots of the sharks that are traveling around really they should be thinking about riley hanging off the back of his boat sketchily trying to make it all work you know finally getting getting the tag on the shark yeah and, uh, it's- hopefully not you know dropping in the water with the shark Totally. And like, I think that brings a full circle back to the start when, when the baby shark turns up, you weren't expecting that you see it, you, you deploy successfully, but it's gone. You, you're kind of like, Oh my goodness. All you've got is the footage to look back on. And it's trust me, it's not as good as when you see it in the flesh. Um, but I had sharks, you know, at the start where they would turn up, but then they would leave and I had tagged them. It's like a lost opportunity. So in science, you get kind of get greedy. You got, if you see the unicorn tag it real quick, cause you might not see it again. Yeah. You know, it's kind of amazing. I think probably 20 years ago, we were wondering, you know, where are sharks even popping? Where are these tiny great whites? And no one had really seen them. I had seen them at that point in like Mexican fisheries. Um, You know, there was areas down in Baja where they were getting caught. And that's the only time I'd ever heard of them. And then progressively, there's more people out there. There's more tagging. There's more media saturation, all the things that come along with it. More interest and more research. But people are finding these areas that are prolific with small great whites and we're discovering these popping grounds so you've substantiated that there's now one in where is it is it northern new zealand yeah um i think first point there is it's yeah it's incredibly rare to see it and the only times i've actually ever seen it is like you say dead baby great whites caught in fisheries which is quite common but quite underutilized as far as us understanding and and using that information um because they're one-offs you know um the only other times I'd seen it is on Shark Week. You know, there was the there was the Guadalupe one where it was like inshore and again through fisheries. Um, but this one in New Zealand, we historically have known that there's pupping grounds. 
Um, but it's it's only been on the west coast and in these big harbors where no one kind of goes and it's murky water and you can't see anything. And so they kind of flew under the radar. But it was, again, it was kind of unsubstantiated, like a few tags and that was about it. We're talking in New Zealand, this northeast area of New Zealand, where I live, where I surf, where I dive, and where two-thirds of New Zealanders also go on summer holiday. So it was like they decided to come back and nest right where we had decided to go on hot summer holiday. So, so it was this kind of conflict of not only is this place amazing for the animal and the habitat and, and, and a pupping ground, but it also happened to overlap with our main holiday hotspot where these great whites have historically been absent. Um, and, and the gnarliest point I think about it as well was some of these sharks, you know, residing and growing up there. We had a, a fatality of a young girl um, one summer and the following summer there was a fatality of multiple baby great whites from set nets being uh, entangled in them. So it, it was like this, you know, double-edged sword of, of a Jaws story, but also the, the effect we were having on these, these animals that were probably historically before we existed pupping there before. I equate it to like a tree that you kind of trim and you trimmed it quite low and you see a bird nest in there and you're like, oh shit, I like, sorry mate. And the bird doesn't, can't nest in there anymore, there's no shelter. But then after a couple of years, the tree comes back and the bird goes, oh, maybe I can go back there. So, you know, we don't know, but the fact is there's baby great whites here and they are so young that they have to have been popped in that area. Yeah. Do you think that... It could have been human influence that made them not pop in that area or human influence that brought them to that area. You know, the uh, chicken, yeah. chicken or egg situation. Yeah. I, I, to be honest, I think that they would have historically popped in that area. It's, it, this is where genetics is great because I have a feeling it's probably like one mum that like this is her nest. And she's, she's been there before and then perhaps we polluted it. We fished it out. It was dirty. Uh, we have improved this harbor by banning certain um, anthropogenic impacts, like uh, like runoff dumping, uh, gill nets in there. And so I think I personally think uh, talking to the fishermen, they say the fishing's got really good in there in the past few years. We've also had like La Nina, which was really powerful in New Zealand, brought really warm water, and I think there's a combination of re uh, like hab- the habitat expansion for these juveniles. And I think there's a there's a larger influence coming from East Australia where we do know that they're prolific puppers up there. Are you still seeing a lot of uh, adult great whites in the southern parts of the islands? Long story short, not really. Um, big impacts down there as well. Like the water down there was uh, four degrees Celsius warmer than ever before. Um, and, and I think that can't have anything but an influence on prey distribution and therefore the sharks. But there's also been a history of, of a shark killing down there, intentional killing. Uh, you know, by, you know, the, the old Jaws, good shark is a dead shark kind of mentality. And even though they're protected, they, they get caught as bycatch accidentally. And if you're listening to this, I'm doing bunny ears around this because, you know, there's, there's still the odd bad lemon of a person who, who wants to, you know, if they see a shark, they think they got to get rid of it. And um, this summer, you know, before Shark Week went down there and filmed six episodes or four episodes, or whatever it was, uh, there were no sharks for 12 weeks when they should have been there. And that was because there was a dead shark on the bottom somewhere. So you can see the kind of shift of my temper here. The sharks are constantly facing impacts of us. You know, they've been aggregating and pupping in some of these areas, as we know, for hundreds of millions of years. And, you know, now we're trying to measure that, but at the same time, we're kind of measuring our impact on them. But that's a good thing because if we're not aware of it, we can't do anything about it. What are you seeing from your data of uh, the global range of an individual great white? There's been a 
like never before have I seen such a, a, a evolution, I guess is the best word to speak of uh, the, the hotspots around the world as far as numbers and distribution. You know, like it used to just be steady. South Africa was it, boom, great. Guadalupe was it, boom. New Zealand was good, boom. There's a lot of movement happening. Um, and, and you can't but not point to, you know, the, the climate influence. Um, you know, just, just last night I saw something about in the Ross Sea down in Antarctica, the whole ice cap melted and all the penguins fell into the water that didn't, the baby ones that hadn't got their, their feathers yet. You know, it's so, it, it's clearly big ocean changes. And um, that's why it is so important to do, you know, this type of research. And, and I'm not blowing smoke up Shark Week, but like the research I'm doing right now would not happen without Shark Week because our country is so small that the only way marine science is funded is through fisheries. And it's only generally to like answer questions to catch more fish or like at least monitor those populations to continue to make money. So megafauna is generally not really funded. And um, that's what's been so amazing. Like I had 20 satellite tags funded by the public. I had 50 other people lining up to, to help um, offer. And as you know, like that's usually in science and, and, and shark research. The hardest part is getting money for tags. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at UH1.com. That's UH1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Yeah, I think you make a really good point about the redistribution of these animals and these hotspots sort of kind of disappearing or changing or moving and it is a bit perplexing from your perspective and for people who don't understand how sharks can be really true indicators like not just that they're important in the environment but they're indicators of an environment can you explain how tracking great whites or tracking any of these other species might infer about the the health and the changes that are going on around the globe yeah uh, um like 
I show this slide. I speak to a lot of school kids and like this goes for like even corporates and university. It's just like a pyramid, you know, the food chain pyramid. The shark's at the top, goes through all the smaller stuff down to phytoplankton. Um, bottom line is the shark's job is to eat stuff. Like it has to survive. It will go where it can eat stuff. Um, so if the sharks are there, they're going to the spot which has the intact ecosystem. Um, if they're not there where they, they historically have been or should be, then that's changed. The, there's an ecosystem change that's gone on. So they're what's called a keystone species. Um, and as far as the great white goes, you know, where we see that historic repetitive kind of seasonal movement and, and habitat use, that's indicative of those places, you know, sustaining the health that, that is indicated by the great white or other sharks. Um, so when, they, when we see them move, I think like we've touched on the climate variable, that's like the warm water that's moving either north or south, depending on what hemisphere you're in. And, and with that, the distribution of prey that the sharks are after goes with it. Like sharks can go into any temperature of water they want, those, the great whites, because they've got that quasi-warm-blooded system. So it's not like they're hindered by temperature. People put a lot of pressure on temperature. It's, it's more relative to their food. The, these population changes aren't just because of climate change. Let's not just put all the weight on there, obviously. It's a factor. The other factor is the food that's influenced by, say, that climate, but also by fisheries. Um, and, then, and, and then the fluid nature of the ocean, man. Like, climate does change naturally. I'm not joining Donald Trump here, but what I'm saying is, is every 20,000 years is an ice age. The thing that's happening now is the change is happening much faster than animals can keep up with. And that has been sped up by us through humankind. So at the end of the day, keeping tabs and tracking these sharks enables us to monitor these, these ecosystems, just like we monitor sea ice to give an indication of Antarctica's health. I find it fascinating as well, though, these populations are also probably likely due to growth. I mean, we've protected the Great White for a couple of decades now, and the whole purpose of that is to try and grow the population. Um, and so with growth comes redistribution because people have to repopulate, the sharks have to repopulate other areas or expand into new territories. Yeah, have to go somewhere, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's been really good to see them recover and, and other species as well sort of recover up and down, especially here in the States where, you know, I'm clearly living and, and watching all the management going on. Um, had some interesting conversations lately, especially with fishermen who are like, hey, there's just too many sharks now. And I'm like, well that's an interesting perspective but what you're seeing is a recovering population um what would you say to somebody who's saying hey there's too many sharks these days it, it grinds my gears every time there's a, there's yeah. a i'm not going to name him but there's a real prevalent spear fisherman who's quite vocal about this and he reckons over in like bahamas and florida like the bull sharks are just out the gate there's too many of them and this is a problem uh the scientific fact is that predators will be in balance with their prey uh, it's been proven in multiple ecosystems. Like a classic one is like Bangal Lagoon, the bull shark dive. You've probably done it before. And the science behind that, like that reef was dead. And the people rely on the reef to feed themselves and get money and send their kids to school. When they made that dive and started protecting those sharks and set aside that area and the shark population grew, so did it the health of the reef, the fish populations, and then the ability for people to make money off of it, send their kids to school. So it's just... It's just scientific fact generally, because there are some exceptions, but generally that, that sharks are, you know, beneficial to the population of fish. And for a person then to walk into that environment and from the safety of their boat and feel like they've got a right to access those fish without the sharks having a go at it, it's just negligence. You, you wouldn't 
try, I always, when it comes to attacks or anything, I try to pivot to another animal to give perspective. You wouldn't have a cry if you went in and tried to like grab a couple zebras and the lions started stealing them off you. You know, it's, it's just like, who, who do we think we are? We have this facade about the ocean being like our little playground when it couldn't be further from it. Like try and go do that in the savannas and, and you'll get your butt kicked. And, and that's just called a reality check. And so I think people just get a little bit too in their own heads and forget that nature is really the ruler of this world. And uh, the shark's yeah. definitely one of it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think they get very precious about their ability, as you say, to go out and catch a fish. And there's this sort of, uh, there's a motivating factor, of course, because you've got guys who go spend, you know, a million dollars on a boat and they went out and bought a boat during COVID. And now they're, a, you know, a hardcore fisherman. And, and this is what they want to do. And we saw the number of fishermen on the water just increase like crazy. And at the same time, they're suddenly all complaining about losing their fish. I'm like, well, if you're all hitting the same wrecks at the same time, then you're going to fish out the populations. And then, yeah, you're probably going to get depredation going on because there's also sharks trying to get a feed as well. Plus, you're all attracting them by chumming all day long. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing. Yeah, that's the biggest thing people miss is they have taught the sharks that it's easier to just sit there and wait for you to catch a fish and steal one than for them to catch it themselves. The sharks haven't done anything out of the ordinary. They've just learned how to exploit human behavior. And there was a shark week show about it this year, um, which was just showing in Australia, you know, that the bull sharks are doing that. In New Zealand, we have it here with bronze whalers. Um, It's amazing when you see that, like, it's really just those whaler species that do it. And that's because they live on reefs. So they get repetitive Pavlovian dog teachings. Uh, Whereas, like, great whites... They move on, you know, tiger sharks move on. They're, they're, they're able to be habituated, but their, their pure instinct to move and follow their natural prey cycles um, generally overcomes that. So, like, geez, yeah, it's, 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 again, human influence. That's interesting. I hadn't actually thought of it that way before. I knew it was these kind of whaler species that were largely getting blamed, but I hadn't thought about it as being, you know, just where they are resident. You know, they're a reef species. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, and it's... It, it literally bites us in the ass, like tragically. Like that New Caledonia right now, it's something I'm trying to address this year. Um, it's the new Reunion Island, you know, where bull sharks largely have caused problems in front of hotel resorts. Um, and it's like, we're influencing that, you know. And it is these whaler species which do reside in certain areas. Tiger sharks, tiger sharks I work with from Norfolk Island, go there. The Great Whites from New Zealand, go there. But they are doing their own kind of thing. They're not staying in one area, and so they're not as influenced by human behavior. Um, whereas the bull sharks, you know, repetitive influence, if, it's, if you're teaching the wrong lessons, can, you know, become tragedies. And, and it's not really the shark's fault. Well, mate, good luck with everything you're doing down there. We'll have to catch up after the kiddo comes along and uh, you've got some more great whites tagged. We'll check in on the app and everything. Tell everyone how they can follow what you're doing again. Yeah, so uh, my Instagram, obviously, The Life of Riley NZ uh, shares a lot of that information or just Google the Great White app. Um, We will be tagging more sharks come November when the sharks turn back up onto our shores and hopefully track a lot of those. And um, yeah, I don't know. I'm weighing up the decision on Shark Week this year. Like, do you reckon a baby in a front pack is legit or is that too far? I'd give it a shot. I mean, it's certainly (laughs) part of a pitch. (laughs) You might have to... Baby, uh, baby. (laughs) Yeah, baby... Baby meets baby great white. You might have to run that past Amber though. Yeah, yeah. She is the decision maker. But look, Luke, um, Luke thank you for having me, man. Um, it's, it's always lovely to share what we do on Shark Week. And again, thank you, Discovery and, and Shark Week for the privilege of this job. It, it is a dream.
It's time for today's Shark Bite, where Sierra ends the show with something interesting from the ocean. What have you got for us today, Sierra? Yeah, so we were just talking with Riley about how the ocean has been changing and how we're seeing a lot of changes and how that affects sharks. And I actually have another change in the ocean for you today. A new study in Nature found that the color of the ocean is actually changing. So it's not blue anymore? What's going on? Yeah, so it's actually more green. So phytoplankton, which we've mentioned in previous episodes, are these really small photosynthesizing organisms uh, that contain a green pigment called chlorophyll. And so when there's more phytoplankton, they're more green. And so if there's more of those in the water, then the water is more green. And they've actually measured and analyzed the colors using one of NASA's satellites for the past 20 years. So this was a study that started in 2002. It's gone to 2022. And they found that over that period of time, the tropical ocean regions have become more and more green. And it's actually over 56% of the world's oceans have changed in a way that isn't usually how they change. That's kind of crazy. But wouldn't we usually associate that with more productive oceans, though? Like, that's yeah, a good so, thing, right? Yeah, that's a, a really good question. Um, normally, you know, we've kind of been rooting for increases in populations for other organisms, and it sounds like it would be a good thing. Phytoplankton are at the base of the food chain. You know, a lot of things feed on them. It's the basis of most of life on Earth. Um, But actually, when there's these blooms in phytoplankton, people might be familiar with the term like algal blooms. When these blooms happen, they actually have negative consequences. So a lot of times these blooms are caused by an increase of nitrogen or other nutrients in the water that causes them to grow all at once. And when this happens, kind of two main factors. The first is that there's less light that's penetrating into the water, uh, which can have a negative impact on kind of our benthic bottom-dwelling organisms. Um, But also when these giant blooms, you know, they bloom and they live, but when they die off, the microbes and the bacteria that have to break those down They do a great job of breaking them down, but then they use up all of the oxygen in the water. So it causes these anoxic zones, which is then a problem for, you know, all of our fish and organisms that need the oxygen to breathe, to live in the ocean. Okay, so there's clearly a a fine line of, you know, productivity that we want at that base level, that base trophic level. What's the what's the prediction? What are they saying? Is this just an observation at this point or are they saying, hey, this is something that's going to be a problem? I think more on the problem side, they're believing that it's human-induced climate change. These variations in color aren't things that they can explain by the natural year-to-year changes of the climate. Uh, So they're thinking that, you know, this shift is due to kind of that anthropogenic climate change. Okay. Well, that's really interesting. Thanks for letting us know, Sierra. Anytime. All right, that's it for today's podcast. I want to thank you for listening to Shark Week, the podcast, and I do hope you learned something. I also want to thank our guest, Dr. Riley Elliott. If you want to check out his work, check out The Life of Riley NZ on Instagram, and also check out that Great White app on uh, any app store. It's really cool to see Great White swimming around the globe and to know that it's guys like Riley who are behind that data that's helping shape our oceans and our knowledge of it. Until next time, I'm Luke Tipple. I'll chat to you soon. Shark Week, the podcast is produced by Dells Media for Warner Brothers Discovery. Luke Tipple is the executive producer and our writer and producer is Yale Rice. Our researcher and associate producer is Sierra Kehoe. For Warner Brothers Discovery, the executive producer is Dominique Zhu and the coordinating producer is Corinne Wilson. You can follow our show wherever you get your podcasts. 
and we'd love it if you could take a second to leave us a five-star review and subscribe to help our mission to give sharks a voice. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.